0: Well, today we are going to be returning to the Gospel of John. There is a thought that we've got running through our service today, and that is gifts. And thinking about these Operation Christmas Child boxes or gifts that we are able to gather and then to send out around the world. Well, we're going to continue with that theme in our passage here as we've been working through the Gospel of John. And we find ourselves in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. And just to remind our church family that have been studying along with me through this, these are some very intimate words that Jesus has been sharing with his good friends. This passage of Scripture from John 13 to John 17 is what's called the Upper Room Discourse. You see, in just a matter of moments, Jesus is going to be handed over, arrested, and then crucified, raised from the dead, and then ascend back into heaven. So before he goes, he wants to offer some words of comfort. I think if we were to put ourselves in the shoes, when we hear of someone that's, well, they're going to die, we tend to arrive and try to offer words of comfort to them. Jesus finding himself in that situation actually is the one who's bringing comfort. When you think of Jesus' life, it began, as we think of the Christmas time, with some gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were being presented to him. Now at the end of his life, he's preparing to offer his own gifts to his disciples. Now these are not tangible gifts, ones that you could gather and put into your hands, they're much more important than that. These are gifts that could be lived out and applied for every moment of our lives. And friends, I've got really good news for you that these gifts were not only provided to these 11 remaining disciples, but they are also available to us today. So let's look here at At John chapter 14, and what I'm going to do is just pick up where Roman left off two weeks ago, and I'm going to pick up in verse 15, 16, and 17, where we're going to look first at the first gift that he's going to provide, and that is as Jesus departs, he's going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Read with me here in verse 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is saying now in this upper room, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is just a matter of moments from being handed over and arrested. But He is now preoccupied with His friends. And so He wants to leave them some gifts. And The first gift that we see here in this passage is He is going to ask that the Holy Spirit come. And would serve his friends, his disciples. Now, would you look with me a little more closely at this word, another, in verse 16? And let's just drop down for a moment and think about our language. In the English language, there is only one word for another. Do you know what it is? Thank you. This side over here is a little more brighter than this side. <laughs> That's right. There's only one English word for the word another, and it is another. But in the Greek language, there's actually two different words. One word is the word heteros, and that word means it might be another, but of a different kind. And then there's a second word in the Greek language, which is the word alas, which means a, another or a different Rather, another of the same kind. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, Not long ago, my wife and I went out on a date night, and it's not unusual for her to order steak. But when she orders steak, she orders it a particular way. And she goes out of her way to say to the waitress or waiter, what I would like is a steak that is well done. Emphasis on the word well. Just a few days ago, however, her steak was brought out, and it looks something like this. And some say, perfect. (laughs) It doesn't really matter to me. If it's a steak brought before me, I will just simply eat it, right? But the steak was brought out, and the waitress, seeking to serve us, very thoughtfully said, how is your food? Is there anything I can do to make this better for you? And my wife said, well, actually, I would like another steak. That word heteros. Bring me a steak that is different than this. And so the waitress took it. I don't know if she grabbed a whole new steak or just simply cleaned that one off and threw it on the grill again. (laughs) Probably the latter. Uh, But brought the second steak out that looked a little bit more like this. I say a little bit. Right? A little bit more like this. That is the word or the concept of heteros. But now let's consider the Greek word alos. And that is different but of the same kind. Perhaps we know what it's like to have a full day of work. Maybe your job requires a lot of manual labor for you. Or maybe it's a full day in the house or outside and you are absolutely famished and you are hungry. And it just happens to be that there is steak being served that day. And as you eat, whether in your home, on your own grill, or out at your favorite steakhouse, you're like, this is phenomenal steak, and I want another. But you don't mean heteros, that's different. You mean alos, which is the same. Now, what word do you think Jesus used here, in John 14, verse 16, when he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. It's alas, exactly. It's the same. In other words, we might say this, I'm going away, friends, but I'm sending you another Jesus. All right, now that might sound very strange to you, but remember what the Bible teaches, that there is one God. That's right, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Bible also teaches that there are three distinct persons. There's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is saying, I'm sending to you another he is saying of the same essence, of the same being. Or maybe we could say it this way, for Jesus to send the Spirit is similar to Jesus sending Himself. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the Spirit is identified as the Spirit of Christ. That word, another, is very significant to us here in John 14, verse 16. But look at the word that is next. It's a word, helper. Once again, drawing back to the Greek language, this is a word that many of us know in this room. It is the word, paraclete. And depending on your translation, you may have the word, comforter, or you may have the word, helper, or another word. When Jesus is spending his remaining moments with his friends, he he is aware, like the great theologian Lennon and McCartney, that they will need help. And not just somebody, help. Not just anybody, help. They'll need someone, help. And help me if you can, I'm feeling down. I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground when you please Please help me. This is, whether they know it or not, this is where Jesus' friends are going to be, is that they are going to need help to live out the Christian life. And to borrow from another great theologian, Toby Mac, help is on the way. Help is on the way in the form of the Spirit of God. So we see here the Helper is the spirit. That word paraclete could be translated and is translated elsewhere as the word advocate. That means a defense attorney because Jesus is aware that these followers of him will at times face all sorts of condemnation and guilt. So like Jesus is in first John two verse one as the advocate, the Holy Spirit will serve as our own advocate, and remind us that we have forgiveness in Jesus. Another word for this paraclete is the word comforter. It is one that he will reassure us of who God is and what his word says. Another word here of the spirit is encourager. Reminds us who we are and the blessings that are available. Another word could be used here is the word counselor. In the same way that Jesus counseled and provided answers to live questions, the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God to direct people's hearts to obedience to God. And then we see this word, helper. In the same way that Jesus helped the people to understand God's ways, the Holy Spirit will do the same. Another thing we see about this gift of the Spirit Is that the Spirit is always present. The Spirit is always present. Look at what it says there in verse 16. It says, I will send you another helper to be with you forever. There are people in the room today that feel very alone. But if you are a child of God, if you are justified, if you've had your sins forgiven, if you are born again, your apartment, your house might be cold and drafty and quiet, but you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you all the moments of your life. Not only this, but when we look at verse 17, it says here the Spirit leads and teaches. You see what it says there in verse 17? even the Spirit of truth. Jesus, earlier in this chapter, identifies himself as the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit, being like Christ, also guides in truth. Look what it says, just skipping a little bit later into our chapter, in verse 26 it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So in the same way that Jesus led the people, the Holy Spirit will lead. In the same way that Jesus taught the people, the Holy Spirit will teach. And you'll notice there what it says in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, Because it neither sees Him, neither sees Him, nor knows Him. You see, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person. He is as much of a person as you are. He is not some spiritual force. The world does not see because the world does not embrace Jesus. The world does not embrace truth. But those who do will see it. And isn't that true? When our eyes are attuned to things, we tend to see those things. In the spring or the summer, on a Thursday or a Friday, I drive without any sort of distractions from here to my home. But when I ride with my family, they see things that I don't see, namely garage sale signs. I I would never see those, but they're looking for them. In the same way, for those who have had our eyes open, we see how the Spirit is working. And then the next thing we see here about the Spirit is the Spirit is known, is with, and is in the followers of Jesus. Look at the last part of verse 17. He says, You know Him, referring to the Spirit, for He dwells with you, and will be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, being the third person of the Trinity, has always been present. He was present at creation. He was present before creation. But when Jesus ascends, we read about this in the next book of the Bible, the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit is about ready to come upon the followers of Jesus in a new, special way. But you see here in verse 17 that they know him right now and that he he is with them right now and that he is in them right now. And I said this at the beginning, that this is a gift that is not only available to the eleven disciples, but loved ones, it's available to you and I today as well. Do you know that when you became a Christian, According to the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit came to you and is in you. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, the Holy Spirit is seen as a seal that, that seals our salvation. In the same way that we would have a down payment on a home. The Holy Spirit serves as a down payment of Jesus' promises and that he will return for us. I remember several years ago when we went to the bank down on Oneida and we put down a a down payment on our home. And we said to the bank, this is some money, but we intend to pay this in full. We're going to keep paying until this is completely paid off, till we make good on our promise. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. Several years ago, uh, my wife was here in Green Bay and I had flown out from the Fort Worth, Texas area to be able to propose to her. And I I put a ring on her finger and I said, this is a pledge. This is a promise to you that I'm coming back and I'm going to marry you and I'm going to make you my own. The Holy Spirit, when he fills us upon conversion, it's a promise that Jesus will come back for his church, for his own. You see it there, it says the Spirit is in us. This is a great word picture. I come across this little illustration this week by some pastor, and he said, do you remember in the Old Testament, there was what was called a, a tabernacle, later gave way to a more permanent temple. But in that tabernacle, there was a a special place called the Holy of Holies. And it was here in this Holy of Holies where God's presence was. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul says of us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that the temple had the Holy Spirit, loved ones If you are a child of God, you have turned from your sins and repented, you possess the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, I'll get to this verse in time, but there's a great verse in, in John 16, verse 7, where Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, their helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. On these remaining moments that Jesus has with his friends, he says, you know what? It's better for you that I leave. I'm going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what in the world did he mean by that? Perhaps you have thought to yourself, and maybe even today, if I could have lived during the first century, it would have been so much easier for me to believe because I could have heard the words of Jesus. I could have seen the miracles with my very own eyes. But loved ones, Jesus was confined to one physical body. Today, if Jesus were on a world tour and he was going through all, all these different stops, and let's just say he happened to be on a tour in Green Bay for the entire month, And in God's kind providence, we got him here at Highland Crest for one Sunday. We would allow him to preach, and right after that service, there would be a great fight of who gets to host him in their home. But here's the thing, loved ones. When he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to fight over Jesus because each of us has the Spirit that dwells in us. And when you leave here today and you go home, you take the Spirit of Christ with you. When you go to work tomorrow, you take the Spirit of Jesus with you. When you go to Thanksgiving meal a little bit later this month, you take the Spirit with you. When you go to school, when you go on vacation, when you go on the mission trip, you take the Spirit with you, Clearly it is to our advantage to have the Spirit with us. So that's the first gift. Now let's consider a second gift. As Jesus departs, He will increasingly make Himself known to those who love and obey Him. So here's the second gift, is a close relationship with Jesus. Let me just go back up to verse 15 for a moment. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let me just pose this question to you. How does this work? Do we obey in order to earn God's love? Or do we receive God's love? Then we obey. You remember what 1 John 4 verse 19 says. It says this, we love because he first loved us when it talks here about commands in verse 15 what commands is he speaking about well the context would tell us of the upper room discourse he's laid out a few things to emphasize in john 13 he has spoke to them about the importance of washing or one another's feet or serving one another in john 13 verse 14 In John 13, verse 34, he tells them, I've got a new commandment to give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. And in John 14, verse 1, here's another command, Believe in God, believe also in me. But clearly these commands are not just those that are spoken about in the upper room, but all of Jesus' ministry. We are given this responsibility to obey them. But this is to be motivated out of love. Imagine I said uh, to my wife, Honey, I love you. I, I care for you. And I, and I get all misty-eyed, just extolling all of her wonderful qualities. And her heart flutters for a moment. But then five of the next seven nights, I'm out womanizing downtown Green Bay and show her no honor, no care at all, you would say to me, you don't love her at all. Here's what I wanted just to see here. It says to keep Jesus' commands without love is legalism. It says say, let me obey these things in order to, to be made right with you, but we cannot do that. But to love without keeping Jesus' commands is a lie. It's possible, isn't it, on a Sunday morning to to be able to raise your hands and sing, to, to be so passionate in your singing of worship to Jesus, but then less than 24 hours later on a Monday morning to not obey Him or follow His commands at all. So let's look at this passage here. The second gift is an unknowing of Jesus. Look at what it says here in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. When Jesus is raised from the dead, he makes himself known primarily to his followers. According to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, 500 of those followers, but he doesn't necessarily reveal himself to the world. It says there in the last part of verse 19, because I live, speaking of his physical resurrection, you also will live, speaking of our spiritual lives. Verse 20, in that day, that is the resurrection day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Listen to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you see the progression there, here's what's happening. The disciples, having received the love of God and motivated by love, are now obeying Jesus' commands. And as a result of that, Jesus and the Father are revealing themselves more and more on an increasing level to these friends of Jesus. And the same promise, the same gift, is available to you and I today. Now a question emerges here. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, that would have been Thaddeus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It could be that what Thaddeus is doing here is referring to another parallel passage In Matthew 24, verse 30, where Jesus says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in heaven with power and glory. And he is saying to himself, Didn't you just say that all of us will see you? And listen to his response in verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Listen to this wonderful truth here. Those who have received the love, out of love obey. And here's the promise, that the Father and the Son will make their home with you. What makes a home? Well, we could talk about that. Uh, How about laughter? How about honesty? How about mutual respect? But what makes a home? What makes a close relationship with the father, son, and the followers of them? But it's love. And it's keeping his word. Putting it in their hearts. That's what we see here. What a a tremendous gift that is provided. A couple of years ago, I was invited to go on a fishing trip with a father, an adult father, adult son. and We went on an area river, and there I sat between a father that loved his son. And there was great camaraderie between the son and the father as the son I knew respected his dad. And here I was, fishing in between them. And what a magnificent experience that was. It didn't hurt that we caught a lot of fish that day, too. But it made me think about this. I'm just here to tell you, there is nothing that you will experience in this life that is better than that than to be in a close relationship with the Father and the Son and to be at home with them. And this is the gift that's provided and made available to you and to I. So there's the first gift. Hey, I'm I'm departing. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The second gift is this. I'm I'm going to increase, make myself available to you and and reveal myself to you more and more. And then finally, here's the third gift. As Jesus departs, he offers his peace. Verse 25 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I just want to pause for a moment on that word Spirit. Sometimes when we think of the Spirit, our minds gravitate towards some crazy things that maybe we've seen. Power and greatness. And certainly the Holy Spirit does provide strength and encouragement for the Christian life. But would you notice the word that's right before the word Spirit? It's the word holy. And what the Holy Spirit is all about is making us more and more holy. He says the Holy Spirit will come and He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It could be at this time the disciples kind of vaguely remember the things that Jesus has done, whether His miracles or His teachings. But in time, for some of them, like John who is there, the Holy Spirit is going to bring remembrance to those things. And He is going to record them. Second Peter chapter 1 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 27, Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now in the Bible, there's two types of peace. The first I'll just call objective peace. Peace. We know what it's like when two countries are at war with one another. They see one another as their enemies. We want to see peace, that there's a ceasefire among them. Do you know that when you were born into this world, and you were born with that sinful nature, that God is your enemy? And that you are at war with God? And that you need a mediator? That will come and help you with your problem. This is what Jesus has done. Our good works do not serve as a bridge to get us to a holy God. Only Jesus, the mediator, who was our substitute and took on our sins, serves as the mediator. Lays his life down as a bridge so that we may have a relationship with God the Father. That is objective peace. But there is a second type of peace, and we might just call it a subjective peace. And that is, we will go in this life with all sorts of trouble and conflict and pain. And yet in the midst of that, we can have this assurance that God is going to work all things out for our good and according to His good purpose. When we're looking here at the peace that Jesus offers, we're talking about that second Type of peace. And you'll notice in verse 27 that he does not offer just a generic peace, not a peace, but he offers my peace. This is not a peace that has a one-size-fits-all. Rather, this is delivered by none other than Jesus himself. My peace. It was G. Campbell Morgan that said this, Jesus carefully described the peace as my peace. His peace was a heart untroubled and unfearful in spite of all the suffering and conflict ahead of him. In our room this morning, there are many people that are troubled, that are in the midst of conflict. I got great news for you. We're not only distributing gifts of Operation Christmas Child today, but I want to remind you of another gift of Jesus' peace that is available to you as well. And if it was sufficient for Jesus, just moments before he would be arrested and crucified, I'm here to tell you today that his peace is sufficient for whatever you are going through yourself. He says here in verse 27, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now that could mean at least two different things. One, the typical greeting of the Jew in that day, and I think today, is what? Peace be with you. And it was just a common phrase, a greeting that would be offered You know what it's like. We can can ask the question, how are you? But we really don't want to hear how someone is doing, right? And it could be the same way. Peace be with you. And Jesus is saying, now when I'm talking about peace, when I'm talking about this gift that I want to offer to you, I'm not talking about something that is thoughtless and superficial. I'm talking about something that you can put your life on. Watch me how I am doing this. We have a phrase in our language. Called goodbye, and do you know what the origins of that is? God be with you. And every time we say goodbye to someone, we are the origins of that. Our God be with you, but we don't always think of it that way, do we? There's a second way that we could interpret what Jesus is saying is that He is offering a different peace than the world offers, and what the world offers is probably an avoidance of conflict an avoidance of actually facing what's bringing us problems. But Jesus is saying, no, you know where I'm going, don't you? I'm going to the cross for you. And so his peace is a substantial one. Look at what it says then. We'll round this chapter out. Verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now he's appealing to their friendship. Listen, if you really love me and you want what's best for me, then you ought to be happy. You know why? Because I get to go home. I get to be with my dad again. You ought to rejoice for that. And not to allow there to be any sort of confusion of what some cults might do. That when he says, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, he's not referring to that, that he is lesser in his deity than the Father. He's just referring to his position, that he is submitting to the Father's leading. Verse 29 then, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you may believe. I'm, I'm letting you know what's going to happen in the future. So when it happens, you're going to be like, Jesus called that. And then in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. In just a matter of moments, the devil who has, who has went inside of Judas. Judas is going to be meeting us. He's going to betray me. I want to let you know something, however, that this is all a part of the plan. He has no hold on me at all. I'm I'm not weak. There's been no fiery arrow that has somehow penetrated this holy armor. No, this is all according to the plan. Look what it says in verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. This is all according to my Father's plan, and I'm submitting to it. And then in verse 31, it concludes with this sentence, Rise, let us go from here. Now, if you're observant, and I think this side of the room might be, uh, then you're like, well, wait a minute, didn't you say this upper room discourse is uh, chapters also 15, 16, and 17? And then he just say, let's get up and go. Well, if ever you've tried to gather a group of 11 men or 11 people to all try to leave on a certain time, well, then you know what that's like. And sometimes when you're around people that you love and you care for, well, you just want to soak in every remaining moment, don't you? I think of some gatherings with my wife's family where I'll just say to... The in-laws, I love you. Have a, a great day. Thanks for this outing, and thanks for letting us come over and visit, boys. Let's go. And, and and then I go out to the vehicle, and twenty minutes later, my wife is still in saying goodbye. You know that that's kind of what takes place here with with a great love. It's like, oh well, no, we're, we don't need to leave just quite yet. Let's let's soak in on all of this. As we wrap up this passage today, we've talked about three gifts that Jesus has made available, not only to the disciples, but to you and I. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of this deepening, abiding, increasing relationship with Him and His Father. And then of His peace. But none of those gifts will do you any good unless you've accepted the first gift. And that's the gift of the forgiveness of your sins. Boy, in a couple of minutes, we'll be taking these chairs and gathering and starting to put these boxes and packing them to send around the world. And it's more than just Christmas presents, but it's about sharing this gift of eternal life through what Jesus has done on the cross. Can you imagine that if we took so much time doing that, but we didn't pause to say, what about everyone in this room? Have you received that gift? Well, that would be a wasted opportunity. remember the whole context here of John 14 is Jesus is just remaining with a few more moments before he grows to the cross. And I would ask you this. Have you received that gift? Have you had your sins forgiven? Have you realized that there is nothing that you can do to be made right with God? But Jesus died on the cross in your place. That's love. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us why don't we just take a moment right now, and if you have never received the love of God, if you've never personalized that, and say, I want that for myself. I realize that I I cannot save myself. I I realize that I'm a a sinner, and I need to be forgiven. I want to receive this gift that has been provided for me. As Miss Karen comes, as our music team comes, I want you to prepare your heart. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. (laughs) Why don't you just get honest with God right now and in the quietness of your seat, knowing that that gift of receiving Christ puts in the motion all these other gifts of receiving His Spirit, of entering into a deepening relationship, and having his peace. So right where you're at, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer, but you can pray that. Pray, I need this gift. I want to follow you. I want to say I not only love you, but my love is proven by how I live for you. You take this time to pray. And then I'd say to those of you who have received that gift, why don't you pause right now and just take a little prayer meeting and you thank God for the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the gift of a close relationship with Jesus and the Father, and then thank Him for His peace. Lord, what a gift it is for us to reflect on the life of Jesus that seemed to be all about giving, giving in, a, in the moments where it was just a matter of time before he was arrested. All he was doing was, was thinking about his friends. He was thinking about these disciples. What a Savior. What a Master. What a Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us would not just think of ourselves so highly but we'd be willing to to think of others more highly than ourselves thank you for these gifts that you've given to us in jesus name amen why don't you stand and let's sing this great confirming song of what jesus has done for us